How can companies participate in the political process without getting into legal trouble? I'm Po Yi, a partner in Manat's advertising, marketing, and media practice. And this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. Today, I'm joined by two of my Manat colleagues, Randy Keene from our Los Angeles office and Paul Haringa from our Chicago office. Randy is a longtime partner in Manat's government practice, specializing in government ethics, political and election law, and is a new dog dad. I believe that Randy actually has his dog with him today. I do. (laughs) Paul is a seasoned litigator defending companies in a wide array of business sectors in class actions and other complex litigation filed throughout the country, including class action lawsuits involving the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or TCPA. Randy and Paul, thanks for joining me for this episode. Thanks for having us, Paul. Thank you. The past three months, and especially the couple of weeks leading up to the inauguration of President Biden, have been the most tumultuous political time period that I've ever lived through as an adult. Even without the events that followed November elections, 2020 was already a historic election year in terms of the magnitude and intensity of political engagement and the sheer amount of political ads and campaign messaging in all media channels, especially via social media and text messaging. Regardless of one's political affiliation, It's been almost impossible to stay neutral and silent for anyone in the U.S., and even those outside the U.S., including companies that usually try to maintain a neutral stance. Amidst the backdrop of a tense and volatile political environment, I wanted to take this opportunity to explore legal issues that companies may encounter when they actively participate in the political process, whether through conducting political advertising, making political contributions, or furnishing, and in some cases, terminating services to certain individuals or companies involved in objectionable behavior. Randy, you've been advising both for-profit and non-profit companies engaging in political activities for many years. What are some of the ways that companies get involved, and are such activities regulated? There are a variety of ways that companies can participate in the political process. One of the ways is urging voters to vote. And simply doing that is not regulated activity. But under federal and state laws, urging a voter to vote for or against a candidate or ballot measure will likely require, at a minimum, that the person paying for the ads file financial disclosure reports. And in many cases, these must be filed within 24 hours of the expenditure. So as soon as, or really before, a company decides to do this, you should consult with an attorney to make sure you know what your obligations will be. You mentioned companies getting involved in supporting or opposing ballot measures. I'm not from California, but I know that California is known for its ballot measures, and the 2020 general election was no exception, with companies spending millions of dollars in ads supporting or opposing the ballot measures. As a California-based attorney, a significant part of your practice involves counseling clients on these ballot measures. Could you elaborate on the key watchouts for these companies? So... You know, advocating for or against a ballot measure is definitely considered political advertising if you're spending money to do so. Uh, anyone who spends money to support or oppose a ballot measure automatically becomes a committee under California law and must file reports and comply with a lot of requirements, both about the committee name and that ubiquitous paid for by requirement. While these regulatory requirements seem burdensome, Political advertisers enjoy much more flexibility when it comes to the content of political ads. As an advertising lawyer, I deal with truth in advertising issues all the time, including regularly advising clients on what claims are false or misleading. Political speech, however, is not held to the same standard as commercial speech, 
and were constantly bombarded with ads that would never be acceptable in the commercial context. Despite the constitutional protection that political speech enjoys, are there any limitations, Randy? Well, not really. As, as you know, the FTC usually regulates truth in advertising, but the FTC does not have jurisdiction over political speech, which, as you noted, is protected by the First Amendment. And maybe the most famous example was a California candidate who claimed during his campaign that he had won the Congressional Medal of Honor. And this was a lie. And lying about it violated the law. So he was charged with the crime about making a false claim about his military service. The Supreme Court said, even though this is a lie and a lie that violated federal law, it's political speech, it's protected speech, and he couldn't be prosecuted for it. So when it comes to political ads, we really rely more on the medium than the law to police false claims. Most traditional media companies, you know, the print companies, TV, will to some degree or another refuse to run an ad that includes a false claim. In other words, there's little legal protection against false claims when it comes to political speech, regardless of who is speaking. But such false claims can be filtered out depending on the medium used to deliver the message. Well, that was certainly not the case up until the 2020 election. I mean, we, we saw, you know, in, until very recently, that social media took a very hands-off approach. Anything goes. You can say or do anything on social media. But as anyone who's been paying attention to current events knows, even the social media companies are now starting to step up and identify false or heavily disputed information and even suspending accounts of those who engage in spreading false information in the political context. Randy, I'd like to ask you about another common way that companies participate in the political process, namely by making political contributions. Following the infamous Capitol riots on January 6th, some companies have announced that they are not going to make or suspend making campaign contributions to some of the members of Congress who voted to contest the election results. Are there any legal landmines in either supporting those members of Congress or in making an announcement that you are not providing the support anymore? This is really more of a policy issue and a policy decision than a legal issue. Companies give to federal candidates through the company PAC because corporations are prohibited from making direct campaign contributions. But companies can give directly to other PACs, and this is where the real value lies for many office holders. They all have leadership PACs, and the high-profile office holders raise a lot of money for those PACs and for the party committees. So now we have some companies announcing that they're suspending their contributions and suspending in quote marks. Companies have to walk a careful line. They don't want to offend their customers, and they have customers on both sides of the aisle. What we do not know yet is how long will these contributions be suspended? Is it permanent, or will they just wait a few months until the dust settles? How will they decide who to give to? We're not in an election season right now, so a temporary suspension probably doesn't even hurt an office holder very much in the long term. You referenced PACs just now. What are PACs, and how do they work? Well, I mentioned leadership PACs, which candidates form for themselves, and they use those PACs to give money to other candidates for office. The PACs with which most people are familiar now, though, are what are known as super PACs. And these came into being after the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United. The court essentially said that a company spending money on political issues is speech. It's free speech protected by the First Amendment. And companies can give as much money or spend as much money as they want with a super PAC to support or oppose a candidate. Super PACs are different and separate from a candidate's own committee. So in the last election, 
we could each give $2,800 to a candidate for president. A company could not give it all because that is prohibited by federal law still. But you or a company could give millions if you had it to a super PAC, or you or a company could spend millions of dollars if you wanted to, to support or oppose a candidate. Companies can form these super PACs themselves if they want to. But I think in most cases, it's easier just to give large amounts of money to a super PAC that's already been set up by a professional campaign. These super PACs can then spend as much as they want to to support or oppose a candidate. Many of the ads that we saw in the last election cycle were paid for by super PACs and not by the candidates themselves. As we discussed earlier, social media platforms have started to take a more active role in policing the use of their platforms to spread false information and other objectionable content that violate their policies. And constitutional lawyers generally agree that these social media companies are legally allowed to do so. This development, I think, has made text messaging an even more appealing communication method for political advertising. I'm pretty sure all of us have received quite a few texts from political campaigns and PACs leading up to the November elections. And I think text messaging to support political movements and causes will not stop in the foreseeable future. With that in mind, Paul, can you tell us the relevance of the TCPA when political messaging is conveyed through text messaging? People usually associate the TCPA with telemarketing, but political campaigns that violate the TCPA face the exact same risks as commercial telemarketing campaigns. Um, First and foremost, uh, the TCPA does not separately recognize political advertising. There is no exception for political advertising within the statute. So it's definitely something to look out for, especially because the damages can really add up. Um, It's either actual damages or $500 per call, whichever is greater, or up to $1,500 per call for willful or knowing violations. There are no mistake or one call exemptions. If you accidentally call someone and it's a wrong number, you're still on the hook because it's a strict liability statute. There's no cap on statutory damages. So therefore, multi-million dollar class settlements are not uncommon. And not surprisingly, both President Trump and former President Obama's campaigns were hit with substantial TCP lawsuits. So while political messaging enjoys considerable latitude with respect to content, The same is not true when it comes to the text messaging medium. Seeing how important it is to understand the requirements of the TCPA, Paul, it would be great if you could give us a brief overview of the TCPA and how it can apply to political advertising. Certainly. Well, in very broad strokes, the TCPA regulates and restricts the use of certain automated technology to initiate outbound telephone calls. It applies to voice calls, voice messages, something more frequently known as um, uh, a voicemail drop or ringless voicemail, and SMS text messages and MMS text messages, as well as, and to a lesser extent because people are using it less, faxes. They're all considered calls under the TCPA. Uh, It does not regulate inbound calls or use of automated technology other than to accept inbound calls. Um, and it includes auto dialers and artificial voices or pre-recorded messages. Uh, there are different rules for cell phones versus landlines. For example, you can use an auto dialer all day long to call a landline, but you cannot without consent to call a cell phone. In this day and age, fewer people are using landlines than they are cell phones for home use. For cell phones, which are most relevant here, the TCPA requires consent for auto-dialed calls, which includes text messages. The TCPA also regulates 
do not call or DNC issues, which can arise when someone calls a number on the federal do not call registry. The consent that is required is different based on the type of messaging conveyed. Informational calls, for example, require what's known as prior express consent, while marketing calls require prior express written consent, which is a little bit more burdensome. And while a lot of people think it does not apply, the TCPA does apply to B2B or business to business calls as well. Those are not exempt. Now, on the one hand, political messaging is generally viewed as informational, although it can be viewed arguably as marketing. A campaign or organization is trying to convey some information regarding a candidate, perhaps, or an upcoming election may be viewed as informational. But when you start asking for donations or if there's a link to a website, for example, where you can purchase a product that helps the campaign, that is arguably marketing. And recently, uh, as soon as October 2020, the SEC put out some guidance in the form of rules for political campaign text. Uh, stating that those texts, if sent using auto dialers, require prior express consent. Let's talk further about auto dialers. If I understand you, the TCPA is triggered if the political text messages are sent using auto dialers, but not if they are sent without using auto dialers. Is that correct? So it's not the content, but the method used to send the content. If a political messenger is sending political text using an auto dialer, they need to be particularly aware of the TCPA. The definition of what constitutes uh, a quote-unquote automatic telephone dialing system, or more commonly an auto dialer or an ATDS, is currently before the Supreme Court, and they heard oral argument on the subject um, just earlier uh, this month. The debate is over whether the platforms that dial numbers from a stored list, which in the political context would be a campaign donor list or voting records, without using a random or sequential number generator, can constitute an auto dialer. Currently, some circuits like the Ninth Circuit, which covers California, or the Second Circuit, which covers New York, say that that such systems do constitute an ATDS. So simply dialing from a stored list of numbers is an auto dialer. In others, like the Seventh Circuit, which is the second largest hotbed of TCP litigation and a very large political stage, and the Eleventh Circuit, which covers Florida, say that they do not. And interestingly, the newest associate justice on the court, Barrett, wrote the Seventh Circuit's opinion. So in those circuits, you need random or sequential number generation, which very few people and very few platforms do anymore. So the definition is quite broad. So stay tuned to find out what an ETDS is. But until then, if you're dialing from a list of stored numbers, uh, assume you're in the TCPA world. Since we're just discussing autodialers, let's talk about peer-to-peer text messaging programs. It's my understanding that this is an increasingly popular technology platform that's being used in connection with political campaigns. What is P2P text messaging and how does the TCPA apply to this? Certainly. Well, peer-to-peer or P2P text messaging is a fairly new but increasingly more common communications technology that enables organizations to use either an online platform or application to send text messages to recipients from a single sender to a single recipient to initiate a two-way communication. Think of it like a walkie-talkie for text messaging. Uh, In 2020, in, in the summer of 2020, the FCC ruled on a petition from the P2P Alliance, 
The P2P Alliance was a coalition of providers and users of P2P text messaging services for things like schools and nonprofits and other uh, public groups. Uh, in their ruling, the FCC clarified that the fact that a calling platform or other equipment is used to make calls or texts to a large volume of telephone numbers is not determinative of whether that equipment constitutes an auto dialer under the TCPA. Instead, whether the platform or equipment is an auto dialer under the TCPA turns on whether such equipment is capable of dialing random or sequential telephone numbers without human intervention. In other words, they ruled similar to how the Seventh Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit has been interpreting the definition of an auto dialer. So if a calling platform is not capable of dialing such numbers without a person actively or affirmatively manually dialing each one, then it's not an auto dialer. So in that case, their system, because it was not capable of sending texts without a person actively and affirmatively manually dialing each number, it was, an auto, was not an auto dialer. The FCC also reiterated that this is a non-issue if there's consent, stating that persons who knowingly release their telephone numbers for a particular purpose have in effect given their invitation or permission to be called at the number which they had given, uh, absent instructions to the contrary. This is basically prior express consent under the TCPA, provided that the messages are purely informational. If they're marketing, you need prior express written consent. So Paul, does that explain the text messages that I get from random people asking me to contribute to a campaign or asking me to vote for a certain candidate a certain way? <laughs> Absolutely. You need to stop putting your, your number out there, Randy, and maybe the phone <laughs> number, the, the random messages will stop. Uh, it, could, it could very well explain that. Um, not knowing what the source of the numbers are, um, it could have been that you provided your number to a political campaign and then the political campaign got it from a voter list or a donor list. That's usually how these turn out. And that's, that's enough for prior express consent, provided that your the message is informational. They start asking you money, they need a different level, a different level of consent. But Paul, going back to the FCC's ruling in 2020, since um, Chairman Pai has just left the commission, do you find or do you foresee any changes happening um, with respect to P2P text messaging? Well, time's going to tell. Um, the Interestingly, the FCC was more business friendly under its prior makeup under the Trump administration. Um, we don't quite know who's going to be taking over. Um, they could very well clean house at the FCC. Um, so it could very well swing toward the more restrictive version that just simply uh, dialing stored numbers. The outcome of the P2P Alliance decision was interesting because the uh, FCC really hasn't formally weighed in on the definition of an auto dialer since that definition became law as of um, just recently in 2018. Uh, and this is the first indication that they would sort of lean toward the 7th and the 11th circuit side. It could very well be a different FCC makeup uh, says, look, it, it doesn't matter if random or sequential number generators are involved. If you're dialing from a stored list automatically, which is what the second and the ninth circuit say, then that's an auto dialer and you need prior express consent. Well, Randy and Paul, thank you both for joining me to discuss this very important topic. There are lots and lots of new things I learned today. Um, this, this was ver our very first episode of 2021. And seeing how pervasive political ads have been in 2020 and how we all have been deeply affected by the historic events occurring in our country, 
it was great to take a step back and talk about the legal issues related to political advertising. Before we end this episode, I'd like to ask each of you to provide one or two practice tips for our listeners. Randy, let's start with you. What advice do you have for companies? Yeah, you know, my concerns are always more about compliance with disclosure requirements and reports than with the content. So I would advise any company that's thinking about getting involved in this process, in the political process, whether it's advertising or, or even making campaign contributions, contact an attorney who's familiar with the laws and that person can help to keep you out of the news for the wrong reason. And Paul? I would say that there's no bright line exemption for political text messages under the TCPA. So if you're using automated technology to send out uh, these type of messages, regardless of whether you're using random or sequential number generator, make sure you're obtaining consent and that you contact an attorney before the lawsuit hits your doorstep so that you can work on compliance measures in advance to avoid the lawsuit. Thank you for joining us once again on Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. As we discussed in today's episode, successfully navigating political advertising and election law issues requires applying knowledge from diverse areas of law. For more coverage of elections and the legal questions associated with them, please see the related resources listed in this episode's caption. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction.